You are listening to the Tom Eliff Podcast. Tom Eliff pastored for 42 years and was also the president of the International Mission Board and the Southern Baptist Convention. He is the founder of Living Word Publications. Now, here is Tom Eliff. Hebrews chapter 11. In just a few moments, I'm going to ask you to stand, and I'm going to ask you to read together with me, beginning in the 11th chapter with the 32nd verse. First of all, I'd like to take just a few moments to uh, encourage you to think back across the past several times we've been together. And if you're a guest here this morning, this will help you a little bit because our focus for the past several weeks has been on the issue of character. What kind of a man, what kind of a woman should you be? The title of the series, For the Rest of My Life, because there's enough time between this service this morning and when Jesus comes or, or you pass away and meet him, there's enough time for you to do and for you to become all that the Lord God wants you to be from this moment until then. Now, there's not time for your agenda and his agenda, but there is time for yours. I rather, excuse me, there's time for his. There's not time for yours. And the Lord has given you a wonderful opportunity from now until you die, from now until Jesus comes to be all, to do all that he desires you to do in that time period. Now, you can't go back and unlive the past. And I'm sure every one of us looks back at the past and along with those wonderful successes and happy moments of our life, we have certain regrets. We wish that we had spent our time better. We wish we had expended the energies of our life in a more fruitful fashion. Perhaps we would wish that we would be more dedicated, more sold out to the Lord Jesus. You can do nothing about the past except give that to the Lord as an offering and let him do what he will with it and with the influence and the energy of that time. But you have everything to do with what lies ahead of you. And so I want to encourage you this morning for the rest of your life to make a specific decision about the issue of determination. Now, we've looked at the fact that it's important to be a devoted man, devoted to God, family, devoted to the finish. It's important, we discovered, to be a disciplined man. That's what focuses your energies. To be a diligent person, that's what takes the energies you have focused and applies them in a specific manner. It's important we discovered to be a daring man as well as a discerning man. Uh, we discovered that discernment is so very, very important for us. To be a directed man, a man who knows how to find the will of God, and a decisive man, an individual who once knowing the will of God will do it. This evening, as we meet together, I'm going to be speaking on the issue of the importance of being a delivered child of God, a delivered child of God. I believe that there are many people here, the sound of my voice, or watching on television, or listening on the radio, who would say, you know, there's certain areas of my life, I know there's sin, I've tried to deal with them, it seems that there is a stronghold in my life, I don't know what to do about it. How can I, as a believer in the Lord Jesus, be delivered of these habits or these thoughts or these particular activities which I do, which are so out of character. How can I be delivered? And so this evening, for the rest of my life, I will be a delivered man. And we'll be looking at the scripture about deliverance and what is a deliverance ministry anyway. So I know you'll want to be back for the service this evening. Now this morning, determination. Determination. In a few moments, we're going to read a very familiar passage of Scripture, and there's a small phrase in it. Let us run with 
patience the race that is set before us. And of course, the picture is that life is a race. There's a start and there is a finish line. But the race is not to be run just in a moment. We are to run with patience. That, that literally means we are to exert our strength over the long haul, cheerfully enduring all that comes our way. And so the issue this morning is determination. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. Some of the most discouraged people I know in this world and the most discouraging people are the w people who have a great absence of determination in their life. It is as if they are shuffling through life with their hands in their pockets. They have no ambition. The compass of their heart is set in no particular direction. There's nothing that adds a glint to their eye or a spring to their step. They're like uh, hobos. They're like transients. They'll just go whichever the trans way the transportation takes them. No ambition, no drive, no determination in their heart. I'll be honest with you men, and I'm always amazed because we seem to have more men in our services, and I say this often, I, I rejoice in it, uh, even than ladies. And let me just say, ladies, that's not the way we want it, so call your friends. But um, let me just say to you men that the most disconcerting thing to your wife is to not sense any determination in your heart. To, to sense that you do not have a sense of direction and that you are going no place and you don't care. And I'm not talking about worldly ambition. I'm talking about having your heart set on those things which are of God, being the man God wants you to be, doing the things God wants you to do. Your family, your wife, your friends need to know what's important to you and where your life is aimed and what you're about and what you are willing to give your life for if needs be because there is a great determination in your heart. And there are, there are many men who do not have that quality. And let me just say that there are many men who have that quality earlier in life but believe because they have reached some magic age of 65 that they do not have to have determination and energy and direction in their life anymore. Let me just tell you that that magic 65 age has no magic about it whatsoever. The truth of the matter is the United States came to that uh, belief that you ought to retire at the age of 65 because many, many years earlier in Germany they set up the very first pension plan. And at that time, men scarcely lived past the age of 43. And so they said, we'll set the magic age of retirement at 65. That way, there'll be plenty of money in the pension plan for these men to collect if they ever get to that age. For some crazy reason, we swallowed that belief hook, line, and sinker that there comes a time when you can just put it on the shelf. You don't have to have direction. You don't have to have ambition. You don't have to have determination in your life. And ironically, when we say that as a nation, we are putting on the shelf and you are putting on the shelf the energies of men and women at the very best and most productive years of their life. They have wisdom, they have judgment, they have strength, they have ambition, the possibility for it. But yet there are people here this morning who worked for the purpose of retiring. It was not that you rested so that you might work, it's that you worked so that one day you might just hang up the shoes hang up the jersey and say, now I'm going to take my ease. Well, listen, God wants you to have the quality of determination in your heart. 
And if you will look in the Scriptures, you will find that some of the greatest of the heroes of faith were heroes in the latter years of their life, far older than 65. Moses didn't go back to lead the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt until he was 80 years of age. And so far longer than the age of 65. And so there are all kinds of people who have no determination. They've just given up. They're just going with the flow. And unfortunately, the flow is going to take you just back and forth and no place in particular, at least no fruitful place in particular. Could I ask you two very sobering questions this morning? What do your family and your friends, your life's partner, if you have one, what does that person, those people, know without question? What do they know you are determined to be in your life regardless? Let me ask this question. What do your family and friends, and they certainly deserve to know this about you, what do they know you are determined by the grace of God to accomplish with your life? Would anybody ever say this at your death time? Well, that was one determined, focused individual. Heart set on being and doing all that God wanted him to be or her to be and all that God wanted him to do. What would they say? You are determined. Your faith is set like flint and you are determined. And let me ask you this question. If they can think of something, does what they think of have eternal significance? I asked a man one time what the greatest ambition of his life was. And this was supposed to be a man of God. He was supposed to be a spiritual leader of a church. And he leaned over to me and he said, Brother Tom, he said, I want to tell you the greatest ambition of my life is to shoot a bear with a 22. Well, that would be fun, friends. But I would hate to go down with that being known as the greatest ambition of my life. What is there in your heart, your family knows, is of eternal consequence? And they know that you live or die, sink or swim. You're going to be that kind of man. You're going to accomplish that by the grace of God. Determination. And so this morning, I want you to stand with me, and I want you to read about some people who are determined. Hebrews chapter 11, beginning with verse 32. Let's stand together in honor of our Lord. What shall I more say? Well, the time would fail me. What, what, what is he, who, about whom has he spoken? Well, he's spoken about Abel. He has spoken about Enoch. He has spoken about Noah, about Abraham, about Isaac and Jacob and Joseph. He has spoken about Moses. These are great men of determination. Men of faith is the key quality and faithfulness in their life. And so he's giving this list. He even speaks about Rahab, who spent most of her life as a harlot, but ended up in the genealogy of Jesus because of faith her determination to operate on the basis of what God said. So what shall I more say? For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon, of Barak, of Samson, of Jephthah, of David also, and Samuel and of the prophets, who through faith subdued kingdoms, wrought righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions. They quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, waxed valiant in fight, Turned to flight the armies of the aliens. Women received their dead, raised to life again. Others were tortured, not accepting deliverance that they might receive or obtain a better resurrection. And others had trial of cruel mockings and scourgings, yes, moreover, of bonds and imprisonment. 
They were stoned, they were sawn asunder, they were tempted, they were slain with a sword, they wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, and tormented, of whom was the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and in mountains and in dens and in caves of the earth. And all these, having obtained a good report through faith, received not the promise. God had, having provided some better thing for us, that they without us should not be made perfect, or their faith without our joining in on what God was doing would not be completed. And so, we read in the next chapter, seeing we are also compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Father, I pray you would teach us this morning what it means to be determined. Father, I pray that every one of us would have a sense of mission, a sense of purpose, and that we wouldn't just have it, that it would have us so in its grasp that we are determined to be and to do all that you have for us from now until we stand before you. Until now, from now until we meet you, Lord, whether in death time or you coming in our lifetime. Oh, God, may we focus upon this issue for this few moments. And dear God in heaven, how I pray you would raise up from this congregation people who have determined to be and do all that you have for us. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. Be seated, please. You'll want to keep your Bible open these next few moments, especially to that passage in chapter 12 with which we're all so familiar. For the rest of my life, can you say it this morning, I desire to be, by the grace of God, a determined person to expend my energies, my strength in an enduring fashion in the directions that God has put before me. I will be determined. Now, what I'd like to do in these next few moments is to show you what characteristics will surface in your life if you are a determined individual. Now, let me just tell you that these are not going to be very easy to speak about, but I want you, if you will please, to ask about each of these qualities, is that true about my life? Is that true about my life, your life personally? Ask the Lord God about that. For instance, determination is revealed when you seek heaven's commendation on your life above all others. Determination is revealed when you seek heaven's commendation on your life above all others. The writer of Hebrews, I, I think it is the Apostle Paul. He doesn't say that, but it just seems to me, just from the textual evidence, this would be Paul. But let me just say the writer of Hebrews tells us that this great roll call of faith is not a, just a statement about some people who have lived one day, but that these people, Abel, for instance, who offered the more excellent sacrifice, Noah, for instance, who moved with fear, prepared an ark to the saving of his family, Enoch, who walked with God, 
Abraham, who looked for a city whose builder and maker was God and, and went out not knowing where he should go and went to a mount when God said, Sacrifice your most beloved son, only to discover that God was faithful to his promise and provided himself a lamb. And then there was Isaac, and then there was Jacob, and then there was Joseph, and then along came Moses, a person of tremendous faith, determination. And then he speaks about Rahab, the harlot, there on the walls of the city of Jericho. And finally he says, what more can I say? And he stops speaking about individuals, but he starts speaking about events in which many individuals have participated. Quench the flame, escape the sword, put to flight the army of the aliens, wax valiant in fight, wandering about in sheepskins and in goatskins, and living in dens and mountains and caves of the earth, of whom the world was not worthy. He says these are not just people who did live, these are people who are alive in, in the great Colosseum of heaven. He paints the picture there. This great cloud of witnesses, those, the word witnesses here is martus. Literally, we get our word martyr from that. Those who gave their lives for something important, something of eternal significance. He says these are in the great grandstand of heaven. These are looking on, the, uh, he intimates here, these are looking on as we now are taking up where they left off, running in this race of life. How do we measure up? It's so easy, isn't it, to, to lose sight of those who laid down their lives for great causes and to get involved in our own world and just spend our life on a cause that's worthless. Our society right now can be bought with almost anything. People spend their lives for drugs, for sex. People spend their lives to, and spend them out for so, such little things, for a boat, for a car, for a house, for a trip. They will spend the energies of their life. That is the great ambition of their life. I went to visit a young man in the hospital some time ago. He was, he was laughing. He said, you know, he said, my friends, he said, they don't treat me very well sometimes. I said, your friends? He said, yeah. He said, the only people in the world that I've ever, ever could run around with. And he told how in a, in a drugged stupor, his friends, unable to wake him up, began pressing cigarette butts, lighted cigarettes against his body, and uh, they tried to burn him to wake, his, uh, wake him up. He didn't wake up. They drug him down two flights of stairs. He didn't have his shoes on, drug him across the pavement, tore the toenails off of all of his toes, just the tremendous abrasions, left him in the street, where a car had run over it. And he said, you know, Brother Tommy said, I know that you're going to say I should learn my lesson. He said, but I'm lying here in this bed and I can't wait to get back with them and to get some drugs. We can be bought so cheaply by the devil and by the devil's crowd. It's easy to forget that we have the Scripture, for instance, because they laid down their lives. We have a faith to hear about because they laid down their lives. And if there's any group of companions I would want to be with, I would one, way, one day want to join with them in that great Colosseum in heaven and be known as one of the men, one of the women, I think you would say, some of you ladies. I want to be known as a person of great faith, a person who endured to the end, a person who lived life with face set like flint, with a determined spirit. You know what these people were known for? Two things. Number one, they were known for faith. This is what we sometimes call the great roll call of faith. What is faith? Faith means that I step out on the Word of God regardless of what the worldly evidence may seem 
may seem, I say God is right, I will do what God said. In every one of these, Abel offered a more excellent sacrifice. Enoch walked, Noah prepared. Abraham went out. There's an attendant action. They did what God said when it didn't seem reasonable to do what God said, but they staked themselves, their lives and their families, on the Word of God. They were known for their faith, and by the way, they were also known for their faithfulness. They were known for the fact that they didn't quit. They didn't quit. I didn't mean these people were perfect. Every one of them, in fact, as a matter of fact, you can go back and find flaws in their life, moments when they fell into sin, moments when they didn't believe. But the entire testimony of their life is like a man climbing a mountain. Sure, he may fall, he may drop down, he may stumble a few steps, but the overall tendency of his path is upward and the, the test of their life is their faithfulness. They kept pressing on toward the mark, the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. If there's any group of people you ought to want to be a part of, it is this group of people, but it comes by determination. A determined person is a person who above everything else is seeking heaven's commendation. What I want to hear is what God has to say about it. What I want to measure my life by is not by somebody who's just made a million because of some record that they've sung or, or somebody who's just made a jillion because of, of the way they can, with their athletic prowess, uh, uh, punch the ball in some way, although there's some good Christian athletes and great Christian singers, but what you would want to be known by in the end would be that you are a person of faith and that you are a person of faithfulness. And by the way, faith is always evidenced by faithfulness. We sing trust and obey. In the literal scriptural understanding of faith, you cannot separate those two. To trust is to obey. And that's why Jesus says, why do you call me Lord and do not the things I say unto you? Not everyone that says to me, Lord, Lord, we enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the things, does my will, the will of the Father who sent me. doesn't mean you're saved by works, but it means if you're a person of saving, who's experienced saving grace through faith, that faith will produce good works in your life. If you're a determined person, you'll be seeking heaven's commendation. Number two, if you're really a person of determination, you'll be willing to set aside hindering conduct, conduct that hinders you in your walk with God. Notice what he says, laying aside, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily besets us. Isn't it interesting how comfortable we get with sin? You know what that means? If you've gotten comfortable with any sin in your life, if I get comfortable with sin in my life, you know what that means? That means that we have made our hearts a very uncomfortable place for the Lord Jesus. You say, why is that, Brother Tom? Because the Lord Jesus is perfect. He is holy. The Lord Jesus is righteous. And when Jesus is enthroned in your life and Jesus is enthroned in my life, he will shed the light of his life on everything there that is unholy, that is wrong, that is sinful, that separates us from his love, that in some way keeps us from entering into the relationship that we ought to have for him. You say, well, Brother Tom, isn't that all covered by the blood when we trust in Jesus? Let me tell you something, friend. Your sins under the blood, Jesus comes to live in your life. He comes in there to live forever. But the issue is your day-by-day -day relationship. My children are my children. Their behavior has nothing to do with that. But I'll tell you what, behavior has a lot to do with how much we both enjoy the relationship. Many times God people, God's people would call out to him. And he'd say, listen, the problem is not that my ear is heavy that it cannot hear or my hand short that it cannot say, but your iniquities have come between you and me, says God. Unrepented of, unconfessed, unwilling to change in your life, 
He says, how can you want to? How can you say you want to walk in fellowship with me if you're not willing to lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily besets you? You know, he speaks about two kinds of sins here. First of all, he speaks about the obvious sin, the sin which so easily besets you. That's the one that right now in your life you say, yeah, I tell you what, I just cannot conquer that. I've got a real craving for that. I, I seem to be really afflicted with that. that. That really catches my eye. That really has a grasp on my heart. Probably everyone here in this congregation this morning could know and tell about some sin which so easily besets you. It can just get you every time. The devil, the devil doesn't have to work overtime on you to get you to fall into it. It's just something in your life. You just have a natural proclivity to that. That's an area of your life you have not brought under the lordship of Jesus. It just so easily besets you. I mean, the program is just, you know, you just get a glimpse, you just get a thought, you just get a taste, you just get an invitation, and there you go again. The obvious sin, but notice the overlooked sin. Let us lay aside every weight. If you're going to run, you've got to, you don't want to trip up on these little shoelace sins, but there's more than that. You've got to lay aside every weight. And you know what's interesting about weighty sins? Most people, most people, consider the weighty sins in their life as something necessary in order to be and do what they want to be and do. When I heard that statement out of Packwood's diary, I made love to her because it was my Christian duty. I wanted to gag my Christian duty. You know what? He said, well, I just, you know, this is, I'm, I'm in a weighty position. I, I just sort of have to do this. No, you don't. You never have to sin. Sometimes people say, well, I, I'm compromising a smaller principle to achieve a larger objective. You get in God's will, you won't have to compromise anything. Those are the overlooked sins. The places you think that you have to go to keep your job. The under-the-table money you think you have to pass out to get the contract because that's the way everybody does anyway. And it puts pressure on you. It's made your life uncomfortable. The overlooked sin. But you've said, but I've got to do this. I've got to go there. I've got to drive this. I've got to pay this. I've got to drink this because otherwise I wouldn't have. Listen, you don't got to do anything. No, you don't. You don't have to do anything. But it's against the will of God. No, sir. And a person who has determination in his heart is going to want to get rid of anything that keeps you from accomplishing your goal. It is amazing to me how all it takes sometimes is the determination to live to get people to change their lifestyle. You know, they go along, they just live like they want to live, and one day somebody comes to him and says, you know, maybe it's out of the result of some test or something. Somebody comes along and says, unless something changes, you're going to die. And it's amazing. All of a sudden, those things which so hard become so easy. It's hard to give up smoking, but I find out, somebody finds out, well, you're going to die if you keep smoking. It just seems amazing. It's not necessarily easy, but it happens. It just so happens. It happens. Listen, here's what he's saying. If you have a great godly ambition in your life, you are determined to reach the goal that God has put before you to be the kind of man God wants you to be, it means you will lay aside. You will set aside any kind of hindering conduct, anything that will keep you from reaching the goal. Number three. You will select the highest course for your life. You will select the highest course for your life. 
He said, let us run with patience. In other words, be determined. Let us run with patience the race that is set before us. And he pictures here life as a race. Sure, it has a beginning. It has an end. And let me just say about your life, all university students, high school, junior high students, oh, granddads, grandmothers, you people who may be only a month away from meeting the Lord, you folks who may be years and years should Jesus carry away from meeting him. Let me tell you something. God has a plan for your life. It's like a race. It's like a race. And you may not have run the first part well, but you can run the balance of it well, if you will. God has a wonderful plan for your life. But secondly, because it's a race, that plan has certain perimeters. You need to run the race that is set before you within the boundaries. You can't just be on this side of the track and to get ahead of them, run right straight across the infield and get on that side of the track. No, the race has certain perimeters within which it must be run. God has a plan for you. There are perimeters within which it must be run. God spells out these perimeters in this book we call the Bible. This is the way the race is to be done one. And let me tell you something. One of the problems that some of you all are having right now is that you're trying to run someone else's race for them. God wants you to run your race. Be the man he called you to be. Be the woman he called you to be. Now, what he calls somebody else, if I, many times you look over the fence and say, well, if I, if I could just do that or have what they have, look like they look, if I just had their job, or if I made that salary, if I could just do that, I would be a success. No, you wouldn't. Because, you see, God doesn't want you to run someone else's race. He wants to, you to run the race that is set before you, visible, right in front of your eyes is what this means. The race he set before you and says, look, run this race. This is my plan, God says. These are the perimeters within which you must conduct yourself. So, if you're a determined person, you will have selected the highest course for your life, God's will, God's plan for your life. You know, God has designed every one of us with certain capacities. We're not any of us the same. His plan for your life is not the same as His plan for my life, and vice versa. But I'm going to tell you something. God has a remarkable way of using people who stay close to him regardless of what his plan for your life may be. My grandfather and I were out in his shop one day. I was just a little boy. And he said to me, he said, Tommy, he said, go down at the end of the workbench. He was a tremendous wood craftsman, just like my father. He said, Tommy, down at the end of this bench, he said, I, I have something that I want. And um, really what he was wanting, um, he, he gave me a description of it. And he said, I need that for just, just a moment. Could you get it? He told me, he said, reach, reach up there. And I was trying to fumble around. I'd open this door, and I was looking at all these tools, and I was a little confused about what he wanted. And I turned around, and he said, never mind, Tommy. And I, I could see it to this day. I turned around, and he was holding an old beat-up screwdriver. He said, I've already taken care of it with this screwdriver. And then he looked at me, and here's what he said. He said, Tommy, I want you to learn this lesson. I didn't use this screwdriver because it was the, one, it was the tool cut out for the job but I used this screwdriver because it was close to me. 
And he said, Tommy, in life there are men who are just cut out to do a job, but God use, ends up using somebody else because the somebody else stays close to him. God's got a plan for your life. God has perimeters within which he wants you to live your life. You need to stay close to him. You need to live within the perimeters that God has set before you. You'll seek the highest course in life. And finally, if you're a person of determination, you will set a holy compass for your life. You'll set a holy compass for your life. There are people here this morning, people within the sound of my voice, your compass is just wildly swinging right now. You're not sure what you want to be. You're not sure the kind of person you want to be. You're not sure whether you're going to give into this habit and make it a part of your lifestyle or whether you're going to rid yourself of it by the grace of God. You're not sure about God's plan. Some of you all are waffling. You, 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 you wonder, is God calling me? And you're afraid to even say, God, if you are, I will answer, which is where you start, dear friend. And your compass is just swinging wildly in life. And so you know what? You're just open game for the devil. If you don't know where you're going, almost any way will get you there. But here we are told that God wants men of determination to set a holy compass in their life. What is that compass? He says, looking unto Jesus. Let him be the pole that directs you, your attention. He said, that look, word looking, by the way, is looking away. Jesus said, look unto me and be ye saved, all the ends of the earth. And in the Hebrew, that word means look away from the other unto me. And this word here in the Greek means look away unto me. Quit looking at all the other stuff, those vain foolish, empty ambitions that you think are a better plan for your life than God's or will bring you more joy and security than God's, more impact and influence than God's. He says, look away from that. Look unto Jesus. Let him be the pole that draws you, sets the compass of your life. And notice he tells us why we should do it. We should do it because of who he is. He's the author, the captain, the one who thought it up, the first in line, and the finisher, the one who brought it down to completion. He is the, who he is. Notice what he did. He endured. He himself was determined. He stood under the cross. He endured the cross. Look at why he did it, for the joy that was set before him. I don't understand that, but I'll tell you, there are ladies in this congregation who know what it is like to endure the agony of childbirth for the joy of having the privilege of raising that child. For the joy that was set before us. Look at where he is. He's now seated at the right hand of God. Think of it this way, dear friend. Just imagine yourself coming upon a great coliseum. And it's evening and the sun is setting. You're not sure what all this is about. And you decide, well, I'll just walk inside and see what's going on. The gate's open and you walk in. And you're standing there on the track. And you look around and you say, this is amazing, this is empty. But as the lights slowly begin to flicker on around the grandstand, people begin to come in and you begin to recognize them. There's a man there with a dove on his shoulder. Well, I told Noah. There's a man over there that smells like fish breath. That's probably Jonah. Back here is an older man and he has men around him. Why? That's the Apostle Paul and some of his disciples. And there's a group of men up there. They have an affinity for each other. They, their eyes look piercing into the distance, long flowing beards and sandaled feet, and you recognize, well, they're prophets. There's, there's Isaiah, Jeremiah. There's Elijah, Elisha. 
Over here is a warrior. There's Gideon. And a king, there's David. And all of a sudden you begin to realize that this Colosseum is filling up with people who are listed in this low call of faith, of whom the world was not worthy. They had wandered about in goatskins and sheepskins and lived in mountains and in dens of the earth and in caves. The world was not worthy of them. They had given their lives. These are the witnesses, the martyrs, who had staked their very lives upon something of eternal consequence. And they are gathered in this coliseum to watch you run the race. And there you are. Suddenly you look down and you've got track shoes on and a track suit on and the sun has set and the lights gleam down on you on that track and you can hardly see the people up there in the Colosseum and there's a restlessness in the air. And you say, what am I doing? And through the air comes the voice of Noah. Don't worry about it, son. I had never seen rain, and God asked me to build a boat. What has brought me here? I don't know where I'm going. And then you hear that trembling voice of Abraham saying, Son, for years, I followed on, not knowing where I was going. The gun sounds and the race starts and and you stumble and you say, but I, I'm behind. And David says, don't worry, I stumble too. Keep looking to Jesus. You say, but, but I'm so far behind. And the voice of Jeremiah says, don't worry. Take comfort in God. Underneath you are his everlasting arm. Keep looking to Jesus. But I, I'm alone and there's nobody around who will encourage me. And Daniel's voice rises above the crowd and says, Keep looking to Jesus. You say, But my energies are being expended. I think I'm almost going to die. And Paul says, Just keep looking at Jesus. You round the corner of that track and you are absolutely worn to a frazzle. Everything has been spent out of you. You think you're going to fall and you hear the voice of John the Revelator saying, Look up, son! Look up! Keep looking at Jesus! And you look way down the track and there across the finish line is the Lord Jesus with arms outstretched and the crowd is chanting, Keep looking to Jesus! Look to Jesus! Till you finally collapse in his arms and he gives you that gift which is life itself. And says, well done. My dear friend, that is determination. That is determination. And how foolish it would be for you to go home, prop your feet up, and spend another day not knowing what you're about, where you're going, what kind of person you want to be. Be a man of determination. Dear lady, set your heart on the Lord Jesus. Be determined. Spend your strength on those things God wants you to be and the thing God wants you to do, the things that will gain heaven's applause and earth's criticism probably. You'll be one, one day should Jesus tarry, whose voice will rise out of the crowd and say to your grandchild, 
or your child look to Jesus because of who he is and what he did and why he did it and where he is set a holy compass for your life Father in heaven I pray your Holy Spirit will just somehow so move in our hearts this morning Lives will be changed. I pray, Heavenly Father, you would stir people out of their slumber as they go through life, hands in pockets. Lord, I pray you will bring to this altar people who've just been wandering aimlessly, shifting from this track to that track, to this ambition, to that plan, never settling on your plan, your purpose in life. Oh, God, bring people to this altar who will say, I want Jesus. Lord, some will say, I want Jesus as my Savior the Lord of my life. Others will come and say, Dear Jesus, you're my Savior, you're my Lord, but I've taken my eyes away from you and your plan. Lord, bring people to this altar who will want to plant their lives with purpose of church where they can serve you. Lord, bring others to this altar simply to cry out to you in confession, Lord God, my family doesn't know that I'm determined to do anything holy and right and eternally significant. I've got rooms full of earthly trophies, but where are the heavenly? I've got the world's commendation and an article clipped from a newspaper to show it, but did that gain heaven's applause? Oh, God, bring us to this altar with hearts determined to be, determined to do by your grace all that you want us to be and do. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. In a few moments, we're going to stand. Our choir is going to lead us in that old hymn, Just as I am without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me and that thou bidst me come to thee. Lamb of God, I come. And this is your invitation to come, to come to the Lord Jesus. For many of you here this morning, it would mean I want to come to him and receive him by faith as my Savior, taking him as the Lord of my life. Listen, friend, you want to have your sins forgiven? He's the only way the truth and the life. No man comes to the Father but by him. John said, as many as received him, to them gave he the power to become sons of God, even to them who believe on his name. Paul said it's a sin problem. All of us have sinned, come short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. Why did Jesus, why is he able to give you that gift? He's a risen Savior. Peter tells us Christ also once suffered for sin, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God. That's why he was put to death in the flesh and then made alive in the spirit. So Jesus says, come to me. This morning, if you'd like to be cleansed of sin, if you'd like to have God's purpose in your life, if you'd like to know that heaven is your eternal home, come and just say to one of these counselors, I want to trust Jesus. I want to trust Jesus. And they'll be here. You just find a counselor. I'm going to ask them to stand even now as I'm speaking. God's spoken to your heart. You just get up, make your way down the aisle. I want to trust Jesus. Jesus this morning. Receive him as my Savior. God bless you as you come. I believe there are people here to whom the Lord is saying, look, this is supposed to be your, supposed to be your church. You may be a university student. You say, but you know, I've come from another town. Great. We'd love to take you as a member in watch care. That means simply we just uh, take the responsibility of looking over your life and, and being your church while you're away from your home church. Wonderful. I would encourage you to do as so many university students have done. Made this their church. Home. There are other families here whom the Lord has been speaking about this becoming a part of your life, this church, this fellowship. 
You just sense God at work there. You want to be a part of it. I urge you to come this morning. Your invitation. Some will be coming just to kneel at this altar and just pray and say, God, you know what's going on in my life? I want to be a man, a woman of determination. Oh, dear friend, by the grace of God, that can happen beginning today. For the rest of your life, you can be a determined person. Would you make that choice this morning? Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. Let's stand together. I'm going to lead us in prayer. The moment I finish this prayer, you come. Father in heaven, I pray trusting that you would bring to this altar men and women, young people and old people, Lord, people who will say, this morning I'm determined to receive Christ. This morning I'm determined to plant my life and serve God as he says. This morning I want God to give me the grace to be the man or woman I ought to be. Oh, dear friend, bring them to the altar now, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.